Come on, that was funny. You got to admit that's funny. Now, what's, what's funny is that that's a lighthearted little video about a very serious subject, right? Because we're talking, we're starting a brand new series today called Heaven Versus Hell. And so uh, if you're like me, there's a whole bunch of us that you want to know a little bit more about heaven and hell. You're kind of fascinated with this subject. I think this is most people. But what's, what's really funny about it is that uh, even though the Bible has a ton to say about heaven and hell, there's a whole lot of confusion that exists around this topic. Like, people don't really understand a lot of the details. In fact, I would say that a lot of us in this room, if I were to ask you, why is there a heaven and a hell? Like, why, why would it even be this way? Why would there be? What, what's God up to with all of this? You, you, you might not be able to answer it. And, and so I think what we're trying to go at in this series is we're going to try to get at this a little bit and, and try to understand and clear up some of the confusion that exists around this subject of heaven and hell. So does that sound like a good idea to you? So what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks, uh, next week, we're going to talk specifically about hell. We're going to spend an entire uh, message, an entire weekend, talking specifically about hell. And I don't know if you've sat through an entire message on hell, but that's going to be a, a tough week. Tough for the preacher, tough for the one listening. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't shy away from it. If you're somebody who's even interested in the Bible at all, this is an incredibly important subject, and we've got to get around it. We've got to understand it a little bit. What has God up to? Why is there even such a place as hell? Who's going to go there? What's it going to be like? And so next week, we're going to talk a lot about that. The week following is going to be better, I'll admit. It's going to be all about heaven, and we're going to celebrate the glory of what's coming. Heaven's going to be an incredible place. The, the scripture describes it as ever-increasing glory, fullness of joy, and everlasting pleasure. I mean, it uses language for heaven that really takes your breath away of how incredible and amazing this is going to be. And it's going to last forever, and it's going to get better and better and better forever. And so don't miss that. Chris Pasek is going to talk about heaven two weeks from, uh, two weeks from today. And it's going to be incredible. If you've never heard Chris Pasek preach, Chris Pasek is a bundle of energy already. And you get him talking about heaven... He's going to bust out of his skin probably. I've heard Chris talk about heaven. And it's going to be a great, great day together. But, but what I want to do today is I want to take a step back away from that just for a minute. And I want to talk about the big picture. I want to talk about where does heaven and hell fit into who God is and what he's up to in the world. So that's what we're going after today. It really is a, a step back just to look at the big, broad picture of what God's doing and to say where do heaven and hell fit into this? And I think that's important. So that's what we're going to do today. But before we do that, to kind of get us moving in that direction, I want to take a step back and just talk about games for a minute. Now, have you ever played a game where it just seems like everybody plays by different rules? You never really quite know. Any Uno players in the house? Uno players? Anybody like to play Uno? Now, I'm going to, by a show of hands, we've got to clear something up here. All right? By a show of hands, I want you to vote. What's the right way to play Uno. Do you, now if it comes your turn, and you don't have a card you can play, show of hands, do you believe the right way to play Uno is to keep drawing as many cards as you can until you can play one? Who thinks that's the right way to play Uno? That's crazy. You are all wrong. Every last one of you are wrong. Because here's the other option. Now you raise your hand. Is the right way to play Uno that if it's your turn and you can't play, you draw one card, and if you can't play, it's the next person's turn? Who who thinks that's the right way to play Uno? Now, not nearly as many, which is why we're, the, we're the, the few and the proud who are right, those of us. Because here's why. There exists unorules.com. True story. You look it up, unorules.com. 
you will find the official rules of the game of Uno. Now I realize everybody has these unofficial rules they play with. Whatever you want to do is fine with you. But those of us that want to officially be right, what we're going to do is you're going to play where you only draw one card. And then it's the next person's turn. That's the way you play Uno. So, but look, I realize sometimes there are these situations where everybody plays by different rules. The game of pool is another one. Now, I don't know if you knew this. There is this thing called the Billiard Congress or something like this. It's online where they publish the official rules of the game of pool. And they published nine different sets of rules. And some of these were surprising to me. So did you know, and maybe, let me just try some of these out on it. Did you know that in playing the game of pool, if you're shooting at the eight ball, if you scratch instead, if you, if you hit in the, uh, the cue ball, that you automatically lose? Did you know this? Okay, well, I've, I'm not sure I knew that. But here's one you might not have known. Did you know... That on the initial break, when you're playing pool, the initial break or the first hit where all the balls scatter, if you hit the eight ball in on the initial break, you automatically win. Did you know this? I didn't know this. But these are the kind of things you need to know. Now, who, who can ever forget the first time you ever hit the eight ball in before you hit all your other balls in and you automatically lost, right? And if you didn't know that was coming, that was depressing. Because sometimes you feel like you're winning and all of a sudden you lose. And so it's all about understanding the rules of the game you're playing. And sometimes you might find that you're losing when you're actually winning. You might find that you're winning when you're actually losing. So you think about this silly little video we just played. Did anybody catch the reason it was that Lucifer lost? Anybody notice? Why did Lucifer lose? Anybody know? Because he didn't realize it, but even though he had the other guy locked in a leg lock... Lucifer was on his back with both shoulders touching the mat. And if you're on your back with both shoulders touching the mat, the count of three, you automatically lose. And this is how it can be sometimes in life. You think you're winning, and you're actually losing. And by the way, this is Lucifer's predicament all the time. It would be so frustrating to be the devil. He thinks he wins, and he always loses. You remember the biggest story of it all, right? Jesus is hanging on a cross, and Lucifer's gloating. Did you know it was it was Satan himself that possessed Judas to betray Jesus, to get him arrested, so he went to the cross and died. And, and, and Satan thinks this is his great victory. But it's only because he doesn't understand the rules of the game he's playing. And this is sometimes our problem in life. What Satan doesn't realize is what he thinks is his greatest victory is actually his greatest defeat. When Jesus dies on the cross, he pays for the sins of the world So much so that the wrath of God is lifted from humanity. Jesus rises from the dead and offers hope and forgiveness and eternal life to all of us. And isn't that amazing? That the worst moment in the history of the world, what looked like the greatest loss, was at the exact same moment, the greatest victory. And it's all a matter of understanding the rules of the game you're playing. And life can be this way. You know, and you look around this world, it gets a little confusing sometimes to figure out who's winning and who's losing, right? Now, you, so you think about this in everyday life. Uh, who's winning, who's losing? And, and, and so a bigger question probably even than that is, is God winning or losing when you look around this world? I mean, that's a good question, isn't it, when you look around this world and you try to figure this out? Because at the end of the day, God's the one that sets the rules of winning and losing for all of us. But it is hard sometimes you look around the world. So if you were to look around and just ask yourself, who's winning? Is God winning or is Satan winning? Is good winning or is evil winning? Is heaven winning or is hell winning? Who's winning? 
I went on CNN.com this week, and I just looked at the top news stories that are going on in the world. And you should try this someday. It's depressing. <laughs> if you're looking to be depressed, just, just look at the biggest news stories going on. Here's what they were a couple days ago. I just went on CNN. Here's what they were. Just a random day. Any other day would sound just like it. Granny Ripper suspected in 11 deaths. Who in the world is Granny Ripper? Killed 11 people, suspected in 11 deaths. ISIS kidnaps more than 200 people. $181 million in cocaine seized by the Coast Guard. Another blogger is hacked to death. Doctor faces child pornography charges. F1 driver and his wife gassed and robbed. And this is just an average day in the life on planet Earth. Right? And so this begs the question, is God winning or is God losing? I mean, before you even get to heaven and hell, just think about this world for a moment. Is God winning or is God losing? Is God winning or losing when someone gets diagnosed with cancer or some other debilitating disease? Right? Is God winning or is God losing? Is he winning or losing when someone goes through a divorce because their spouse cheated on him and refused to stop? Is God winning or losing? Is he winning or losing when countries are at war and children are suffering? Why is he allowing all this? I mean, you look at the world and you think to yourself, what, what, what could possibly be God's goal for all of this? He sure looks like he's losing everywhere you turn. Why doesn't he do something? How many of you ever thought this? Why does he allow all of this, all this pain and this suffering? And, and if God is losing, what hope do we have of winning? Right? Now, to answer these questions, when you start asking these questions of, of who's winning, who's losing, what are the rules of this game that we're playing? I do feel like the Bible has some pretty clear answers to it. And so if you want to get around this idea of, of what does, how does God define winning and losing? What is God up to with all of this? I think probably the best place to go is John chapter 17, because let me tell you about John chapter 17. John, John chapter 17 is part of what's known as the upper room discourse. It really covers all of John 14 to 17, and it's one of the longest consecutive chapters of just words from Jesus in the entire Bible. Just Jesus is talking for most of it. John 17 is particularly interesting, because what you find in John 17 is Jesus is praying. You get to look in on Jesus, a whole chapter of Jesus just praying to his Father. And you get to look in on it. And what's interesting about this particular section of the Bible, this is happening the night Jesus gets betrayed and arrested. It's the very night. He's a couple of days from his death. And he's talking to his Father about what's going on. He talks to his Father about why he came, what he's up to, what he's trying to accomplish. And he ends his prayer with three verses, verses 24 to 26. I think these three verses may very well be the most important verses in the entire Bible. Now, I realize I don't have the authority to tell anybody what are the most important verses in the entire Bible. But when I look at these three verses, they're an expression from Jesus himself about what his goals are and what he's trying to accomplish. I want you to look at this, verses 24 to 26. Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Now that's a very clear reference back to chapter 14 where Jesus is talking about heaven. Where Jesus says, I want you to be with me where I am. He's talking about heaven. Jesus is going to go. After he dies and raises from the dead, Jesus is going to go to be with his father. 
He's praying for us. He says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. So Jesus wants us to be with him. This is his goal. This is what he's up to. This is what he's after. I want those you've given me to be with me where I am in heaven and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Now, it's interesting to to say that one of your greatest goals in life is for other people to see your glory. Sounds a bit self-absorbed, I think. This is what Jesus is praying. He says, I want them to be with me I want them to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that. Now just hear those words for a minute. Here's the purpose statement of it all. Jesus came to make God known. He's going to continue to make him known in order that the love you have for me. So he's talking to his father. Father, the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So I think what you see here is God's game plan. Here is the game God's playing. And whatever rules apply, there are rules where winning looks like this. Three things I see here that winning looks like for God. Number one, Jesus wants us to be with him. That's number one. Whatever winning means, it's going to lead there. Jesus wants us to be with him. Jesus wants us to see his glory so that we love him with the Father's love. So what's the end goal? The end goal is this. What God's up to in the world is the win for God is that we join him in loving Jesus. This is what God wants. This is what the win is. And at the end of the day, this is the win for God, and it's the win for us. Ultimately, this is what we all are searching for, even if we don't know it yet. God wants us to love Jesus with his own love. And so to figure out winning or losing in this world, you got to understand these are the rules. This is the game. And what God wants is for people to join him in loving his son. And the way that happens is very striking. We're going to come back to it in a minute. But to really get our mind around this, so, so you, you hear this for a moment, that this is what God wants for you. This is planet Earth. If you want to understand everything that goes on in the world, God's goals are is to get people to be with Jesus in heaven because they see his glory and love him with the Father's love. Now, glory is a a fancy little word that just means you see that Jesus is the greatest thing there is. He's the glorious one. He's the best one. You you find eventually that Jesus is the place where you're going to find everything you're searching for. You find that Jesus is the source of the love you're after. Jesus is the source of the joy you're after. Jesus is the source of the peace that you're after. This is what it means to see his glory. It means that you see him as the one who has everything you're searching for. And when you see that, you love him like the Father loves him. Because this is what the Father sees. Now, to really get our minds around this, we've got to take a step back and we've got to understand some fundamental things about God. I realize in church sometimes we assume a lot. You know, we assume that people walk in and they understand 
the basic truths about God and who he is and what he's like, but I think that's, that's an assumption we probably shouldn't make because especially nowadays, a lot of us weren't raised to really understand a lot about the Bible and about God. I know I wasn't. I had to grow and I had to learn a lot of these things. So I just want to take a step back and I want to just talk about some basic things about God to help us understand. Because if you're going to ever figure out what God's doing, you've got to understand who he is and why he's doing it. And so a few simple things. Number one, God existed before he created the heavens and the earth. Here's what it says in Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so God's always been there. The theological word for this is that God is eternal. He's without beginning and without end. Could you imagine what that would be like? Now, this confuses people because in our experience, everything has a beginning. I mean, you can't even, understand, you can't even begin to even imagine what it would be like to have no beginning. I mean, what did you do back when there was nothing else but you? When you were always there and never began as far back as you could go. And it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. But when you really think about it, it's pretty obvious that something is eternal. Something must have always been there. Now, little kids, I ask you, where did God come from? And the answer is, he didn't come from anywhere. He's always been there, and it's hard to understand that. But think about this for a minute. If there was ever a time when there was nothing, what would there be now? Because what does nothing do? Nothing does nothing. If ever there was a time when nothing, there would never be something to make anything. It's true. And even scientists have gotten around this. They know this. There's something that is eternal without beginning that is the first cause of everything else. As far back as you go, something has always been there. And the Bible calls that something God. The first cause of all else, the eternal one. But what would it be like to be without beginning? Would you be bored? Would you be lonely? The Bible's got answers to this. No. God was not bored. God God was not lonely. Because here's the next thing to understand about God and who he is. This is just who God is. God is a father who has a son that he loves. And he always has. God's never been alone. God has always had someone to love because God is love. He has always been a father who has a son that he loves. Jesus said this in his prayer to his father. He says, Father, you loved me when? Before the creation of the world. And so what was God doing before he made anything? He was a father who was loving his son. And if you are ever, if I'm ever going to understand God and why he does what he does and what all of this is for, you got to understand who he is. This is who God is. He is a father who has a son that he loves. And everything else he does is to express and to share that love. They were together forever. This is what, what people call the Trinity. And maybe you've heard of this before, but this word Trinity Basically, all it means is that God is an eternal fellowship of love. Always. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, these three separate divine persons, have always been united as one in this bond of love. They're an eternal fellowship of love. And this is what existed before history, and it's the reason anything else exists, because everything God does is for this. Which means that love 
is at the heart of who God is. God, by his very nature, is a loving God. And everything he's ever going to do is, to be, is going to be an expression of this. An expression of his love. 1 John 4, 8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And so, is this good news? I mean, is it good news that God is love? I mean, sure beats the alternative, I think, don't you? This is really good news. As difficult as it might be to wrap your mind around, this is who God is. God is a fellowship of love. And here's the thing about love that makes this such good news. Love wants to be shared. It's just who God is. He's a father who has a son that he loves, and he wants to share him with you. Everything God does is to express and to share his love that he has for his son. He's inviting you in to enjoy it with him. And this is the reason God made everything. They created the heavens and the earth to express and share the love they have for one another. And the win is, when we see the glory, which is the greatest thing, the thing God loves most, the source of all love, joy, and peace, when you see the glory and you embrace the love, that's the win. This is what God's up to. When you come to the point where you embrace this, this is how God wins and this is how we win. And so this is what winning looks like. Winning looks like joining God in his love for his son and becoming part of the family. And this explains everything that God is doing. Now you come back to what Jesus said in John 17. He says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me might be in him, in them. Jesus wants us to be with him. He wants us to see his glory and he wants us to love him with his Father's love. But it will never happen in your life. There's a progress to all of this. It begins with seeing the glory. Until you see how everything else, you know this whole world is created so you can see one thing. Jesus is the source of everything you're looking for, and if you go some other direction, all you get is sin, suffering, pain, and death. If you want to understand why this world is the way it is, it's a picture of what happens if you love something else more than what God loves. If you turn away from the one thing God's trying to lead you to, and you turn away from it, this world is what you get. And this is what shows what's happening in this world, and it's a very striking thing because against the backdrop of all the sin, the suffering, and the pain, and death, Darkness exists so that you can see the light. And this is what's happening in the world today. Now we need to get it crystal clear that the only way, so this is what's happening. So God's inviting you to join him in his love for Jesus. If you refuse, you get the outcome of what comes from that. It starts with this world. You just look around you. It gets you no place good. Do you know everything that's wrong with this world is because people just won't follow Jesus and love him? Everything that's wrong with this world is caused from that. And if you continue to refuse, and if you continue to walk away from him, 
It goes from bad to worse when this life is over. There is only one way. God's goal is that you be with Jesus in heaven. That happens when you see his glory and share the love. But if you won't, here's what happens. And this is Jesus speaking. Not everyone is going to go to heaven. Here's John 3, 17 and 18. And what's interesting about this is it comes on the heels of John 3, 16, which is a famous passage in the Bible about God's love. And here's what Jesus says next. He says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See how important Jesus is. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. I mean, this is the secret to the whole thing. You join God and his love for Jesus and you go to heaven. If you don't, Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Guys, these are just the rules we're playing by here. God is the one that made this world. These are his rules. This is his world. This is what he's doing. The whole thing has one purpose. He's a father who has a son that he loves and he wants you to join him in loving him. Because that's the win, not only for him, but for you. He doesn't want anything less for you than what's best. He is love. He made you to share that love with you. But if you reject it, you walk away from the love. Here's what the Bible says happens to those that reject God's offer to join him in loving the thing that is most lovable. And if you choose to love something else instead, here's what the scripture says. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at, among all those who have believed. And he puts it even more bluntly in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be cursed. Heaven is for those who will join God in loving his son. And hell is for everybody else. This is the big picture. This is what winning and losing looks like. Winning looks like joining God in his love for Jesus and spending eternity with him. Losing looks like refusing to and spending an eternity in hell. And I realize that's a stark black and white. These are the rules we're playing by. This is the world that we live in. Now next week, we're going to talk about hell and the week after, we're going to talk about heaven. But you take a, a step back into the real world here for a minute. If God's goal is to get people to love Jesus... What is the best way to accomplish that? Now, you'd have your story to tell. I think a whole bunch of us in this room, you, know, you try to figure out winning versus losing, and is God winning in this world? If, if these are his goals, is to get people to join him in loving his son, if that's his goal, is he winning or losing? Well, I guess it depends on the individual life, doesn't it? I think there's a whole bunch of us in this room that God's winning, and so are we. I mean, we have found everything we've been searching for. And look, I don't understand why anybody walks away from Jesus. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
Jesus, you talk about seeing the glory of Jesus. I don't know how you could look at Jesus and then look anyplace else and think you found something better. I mean, it's amazing the message that he brings and the hope he offers and the freedom he brings into your life. And yet, I, I meet with people every day who, who look at Jesus and they just don't see what I see. And I don't really understand it. And so how does God, if, if God's goal is to get people to see the glory of Jesus so that they realize this is better than anything else, how is he going to do it? And so I just want to share with you one simple story of how he did it in my brother's life. I became a Christian when I was 15. I could tell you my story. I think it's pretty dramatic in my own life, and you could tell me yours. If you're a Christian today, you could tell me how he did it in your life. How did God get you, sinful person though you were, to all of a sudden have your blind eyes opened where you saw Jesus as everything you ever wanted? How did that happen in your life? Here's how it happened in my brother's life. I was 15, I became a Christian, and my brother was two years older than me, and he thought I was crazy, straight up crazy. Uh, my brother was an atheist. He didn't even believe there was a God. And here is his kid brother was poor in his whole life. When I became a Christian, I became a Christian. Like, my whole life changed. And I was going all in with Jesus. I even went off to Bible college out of high school, some rinky-dink little college down in North Carolina. My brother thought I was nuts. My brother was 19 years old when I graduated high school. He was going to University of Michigan up in Ann Arbor. He was a successful business school student. Uh, he had tons of friends. He lived in his own apartment. He partied every weekend, had a beautiful girlfriend, and had life by the tail, and everything was awesome in my brother's life. And he thought I was out of my mind, just wasting my life. And I, it felt hopeless to me. I mean, I thought to myself, with everything he's got going on, how is he ever going to find the hope of Jesus? You know? And I know, I come to the point where I believed in heaven and hell, and, and my brother, in the end, if he stayed on this road, he'd be lost forever. My brother would end up in hell, and I, I used to cry myself to sleep at night praying for my brother. How in the world was God ever going to get a hold of him? And all of a sudden, it happened one day. I got a phone call. My mom called me on the phone and, and told me my brother had been diagnosed with testicular cancer, 19 years old. And it was an aggressive form of cancer, kind that spreads quickly. They were worried it had already spread. They didn't know what the prognosis was. They decided they had to do surgery as quickly as possible, and they went in, they did surgery on my brother, and they removed one of his testicles at 19 years old, and I realize that's a funny thing to talk about in church. My brother gave me permission. Uh, I like to tease him and say he's only half the man he used to be, you know, but uh, it's, but listen, uh, sorry, but listen, uh, it's funny now because I'm on the other side of it. But at the time, it was really scary. Uh, I thought that this might be the end for my brother. And it, it felt to me like my brother was losing and God was losing and I was losing. And I couldn't for life me figure out why in the world is God allowing this? I've been praying for my brother. I want God to save my brother. My brother might die and go to hell. How, what kind of a God? Like, what are you doing? Why is this happening? I would cry. I was, I was, I was begging God. What, what is this? Save my brother, you know. And, and what I didn't realize at the time is that's exactly what God was doing. What I didn't realize is God plays by a different set of rules than we do. See, what God does is he wins by losing. 
My brother's sitting in his hospital bed with cancer at 19, wondering if he's going to live. And all of a sudden, atheism didn't sound like such a good idea anymore. He started being open, started asking questions, started wanting to talk about it. He looked at my grandfather. My grandfather had cancer as well, and he watched my grandfather. He, my grandfather could barely even get out of bed. He was hurting so bad, and we would go and, and go to church literally every day when he could barely even move. My brother watched my grandfather do this in the last months of his life, a couple years prior to this. And it started to dawn on him, maybe there's something to this. And he started asking a lot of questions. And, and the surgery went over. It was successful. They got everything they needed to get. And he came on the other side of it. And three months later, my brother gave his full heart to Jesus and has been following him ever since. And, and, and listen, t- today, my brother today is 46 years old, a strong Christian man with strong faith, has beautiful family, three beautiful children, And God has really just done a 180 in his life. But if my brother were here today, he would tell you, his cancer, probably the best thing that ever happened to him. My brother won by losing. And this is how God does it in this world. And we all know it. God's plan for the world is to win by losing. It looks like when you look around the world, that God's losing everywhere you look, doesn't it? Let me tell you something. It's a mirage. God has chosen this world. This is the world he made. This is his goal. God's goal is that people would see the glory of Jesus, love him with his love, and spend eternity in heaven. And God has decided the best way to accomplish that goal is this world. He knew what he was getting into. He's not surprised by any of this. God created a world in which he knew sin and suffering and pain and death would be everywhere. And what would happen is that people would see where it leads when you reject his love. And it's a striking contrast. You get so down low in the dirt, you got nowhere to look but up. And God just wants it to be plain. Everything you're searching for is only found in him. And this world is what you get if you look somewhere else. And you all know where you're going to end up one day. All of us, I don't care how many friends you have. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how big your house is. You know where you're going to end up one day. You're going to end up in a casket where you're going to end up. And the only question is on that day, will you win? Will you win? Will dying be gain? Because you found what the whole thing's about. You allowed the darkness of this world to point you to the light. And this is the way it works. This is what God is up to. Now you look around this world, you see children being aborted and their body parts being sold for profit. You see marriage being redefined. You see all this suffering. You see, you see young girls sold as sex slaves. And you ask yourself, why is God allowing all this? Because he wants it to be plain for all eternity that when you turn away from him, it leads you no place good. This is a short life. You just got to make it through to the other side. But If you put your hope and faith in Jesus, you will start to taste what you were made for even in the middle of all the mess. 
And there are so many of us in this room that we've already tasted it. We, we have found that even in our worst moments, there's a peace, a love, and a joy from God that's just there for us. You found what you were made for. And this is what God is up to in the world, in our own personal lives. Listen, the question is, are we going to win by losing? Because this is the drum that God is marching to. And it's all leading somewhere. I want to show you where it's all leading. Look at this from Revelation chapter 7. This is the scene. This world that we live in today, with all of its pain and suffering and death, is leading here. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is where this world is headed. God's going to win. And he's going to win by losing. And when this is all over with, there's not going to be any mistake anymore. We will have suffered enough. There will have been enough sickness, enough cancer, enough MS or whatever else kind of disease is floating around this cursed earth. Just enough abortion. Enough molested children, enough pain, enough suffering, enough murder, enough, 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 enough war. There's coming a day, it's all going to be over and it's going to be shown for what it is. And God's going to rid this earth of it. But in the meantime, it serves as a backdrop to show you the light. Let it do its job. Everything you're searching for is found in Jesus. God is inviting you. He wants you to see the glory. He wants you to share the love. He wants you to spend forever enjoying it. Win. Are you going to win at the end of the day when you lay in that casket? Are you going to be able to say, this day... When I die and I lay in that casket is gain to me. Because I am gaining the greatest thing there ever was and ever will be, and I'm leaving behind everything else. And you know that this can begin right now here today in your life. Right now here today, if you've never stepped in to this love. Listen, the suffering's here either way. You're not going to get rid of that. A lot of people have a problem with all this and they think, I can't believe in a God that would allow all this. Well, you're going to have the suffering either way. You're not getting rid of it. You can find hope in the middle of it. I've seen God heal people of cancer just as I've seen him allow cancer in someone's life. Listen, we're talking about a God who is love and who wants what's best for you and is inviting you into a relationship with him 
that is invincible and nothing can separate you from it, not even death itself, that death itself becomes your servant. And all of God's power, all of God's energy, all of God's wisdom becomes for you and not against you. So much so that everything now begins to work together for your good and absolutely nothing can separate you from his love. If you will join him in loving his son, you will become his son or his daughter, part of his family. He wants you to live in his house. He wants to give everything to you and take away everything bad. This is what's coming. This world is headed somewhere, and God will win. The only question is, will you? You will if you will join God in loving the one thing that is most worthy of love. His son Jesus who came into this world. You know, God allowed a whole bunch of garbage to happen in this world so that right in the middle of it, right in the middle of all the suffering, the sin, the pain, the death, he could send his son into the world to shine a light and to rescue us from all of it. When Jesus came into this world and laid down his life for you, he showed you what love looks like. And if you have eyes to see it, you see the most glorious thing you've ever seen, the Son of God becoming a man, laying down his life to save you and invite you into the family. It's the greatest news ever heard. It's what the world is for. And you're invited. Come on in. It's pretty cool in here. It really is. And I know a bunch of us know that. Some of you don't. Don't wait too long. I'm not trying to manipulate you or force you into anything. I don't want something from you. Neither does God. He wants something for you. Some of you aren't ready yet. Don't wait too long. I like to close this in prayer. And as I pray, I'm going to pray for those of us who've already received this love to be strong in it and not drift from it. And for those of you in the room who've never yet taken this step to receive the love of God into your life, to join God in his love for his son. If you've never taken that step, I'm going to lead you in a prayer today, and I'm hoping you'll pray it with me. I've got some friends down here to my left that want to connect with you after and pray with you. So let's just close in a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for showing us the glory of your son, Jesus, for opening so many of our eyes in this room to see him for who he really is. The best of all possibilities, Lord, that's who Jesus is. Everything that we want and desire is found in him. Lord, for those of us that have taken that step and have received him, Lord, keep us strong, hold us. Lord, may we not drift, may we not fall away from you. Hold us strong. Keep us faithful till the end, God. That this life will, will, will fade away. We'll find finally and fully the fullness of what we were made for. Everlasting pleasure, fullness of joy, ever-increasing glory. Unmixed, Lord, with any sadness or sorrow. You're going to wipe every tear from our eyes. Keep us strong, Lord, until that day comes. And Lord, for those in the room that have never received you, Lord... As I pray now, I pray that you would lead them by your spirit to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I know I've sinned against you. I know it many times. 
but I've also come to believe in this moment that, that you sent Jesus into the world to save me and to show me your love. And, and, and I see it right now, God, and I ask you right now to forgive me. I receive Jesus right now as my Savior, my friend, my Lord. And I pray that you would give me your spirit, Lord. Put your spirit in me to help me to follow Jesus all the way through the rest of my life until the day comes when I get to be with you forever. Lord, right now I thank you that you've forgiven me and you've saved me. And today I share the love that you have for your son. I love Jesus with you, Father. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.